When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. Uh, I hope everybody's surviving the uh, the pre-holiday crazy and, um, you know, enjoying what's uh, the beautiful decorations and family and friends and all that good stuff. Uh, we're going to have a wonderful show this afternoon. I have at the very top of the show our monthly contributor, Tish Squilero. Uh, and again, if you're if you're new to the show, Tish is the CEO and founder of Candor Consulting here in Philadelphia. Uh, she's also an author to um, Head Trash and also a founder uh, to Roadmap, which um, incidentally uh, she's going to be launching a brand new website in January. Um, all around roadmap and uh, and the program that it provides to students. Um, and following my segment with Tish, uh, our guest is waiting in the wings. Her name is Carrie Williams. And Carrie is, uh, she is a boxer, a female boxer. She's a, a boxing coach. She's the owner of The Stables, which is a boxing studio club in Santa Monica. She is a speaker and the founder of Too Pretty, which is an organization that empowers young girls and women um, to play hard while continuing to embrace their femininity. We're going to hear um, a really great story in just a few minutes. But first, I'd like to welcome Tish to the show. Hi, Tish. Hey, Susan. Happy holiday. Same to you. It's that time of year. It um, is. Are, are you local? Are you are you home, calling from home? I am. Good. I am. My kids are both off this week, so we're juggling how they're home a week before Christmas starts. Right. <laughs> and making everything else work. Yeah, good. Um, well, listen, I understand um, we're, we're just kind of wrapping things up um, when you talk about your DISC profile assessment, which is something that you – provide to clients that you that you work with and um, basically it's a it's a behavioral um, test I'll say that that uh, kind of determines people's traits and and helps to improve productivity and communications uh, for people at work and uh, it's a great great um, test to take and we're going to wrap it up today with the C style of DISC which is D-I-S-C so um, talk a little bit about what, what that style is. What are those traits that people who um, have, uh, you know, uh, what, are, what are those traits that uh, people with sure. C-style have? Yes, we've covered the four styles, right? Mm-hmm. And this last, uh, which stands for compliant, conscientious, we call them the thinkers. That's the style that always very buttoned up, has all their T's crossed, their I's dotted. They like things to be perfect. And when you have them doing stuff for you, that's great because who doesn't want everything perfect? But life's not perfect. So when there is change or things are uncertain, they tend to take a cautious approach and sometimes even a resistance approach to trying something that's new or venturing down something that's full, that, that is not fully baked. So like all the styles, there's always a plus and then there's the challenge. Mm-hmm. So one of the greatest assets of having um, a thinker and that C style with you is that they're buttoned up and things are right. And when you ask them to get something done, you'll have it done to perfection. But you may get it late, may not get it early, or you may never get it because they're still working on making it perfect, so you'll have to push them. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the, the things you have to look for in these styles is that there is no right or wrong style out of all the four that we've now gone over. But you want to know what they are because they're insightful, and it will allow whoever's working with them or even 
you know, being with them from a personal professional relationship, what are the best ways to keep that style in a good place so that they're comfortable? And that's the key for learning someone's behavioral profile is where are they comfortable so that I can get them to where we want to go together. Okay. So tell me what uh, someone who has that style, and I'm, I'm sure there's people listening that say, yep, that's me. You know, I, um, I, you know, shoot for everything to be perfect and um, very, very cautious and conscientious. What is one of the greatest fears that someone with that style has in working with others? Being wrong, being caught not knowing all the pieces of the puzzle in advance, not being able to get the answers up front. I mean, I think for them in particular, they want things to balance out. They'd like to have their data. They'd like to have their information all checked out in advance. You know, it's funny, one of your you know, contributors who's in the financial space, I bet there's a high C in her element yes. because they like numbers yes. and information, and they're very thorough, and they're always put together, and they're very organized. Mm-hmm. That's not me, so I am lowest in that level. But, you know, it's the one thing that you know you can always count on is that they're going to have all their pieces together in advance, and that's the part that makes them most nervous is not, right. not having everything in order. Yeah, and possibly having that ability to kind of pivot when something uh, goes awry. Is that a part of that? Yeah, ch- change, and not for the sake of change, because this style is very conscientious on getting to where they're going. So it's not about vacillating around making a decision. It's having supportive evidence that that decision is right. Mm. So they're great when we're looking at options to come up with the, the back-end information that supports where to go. But if we're in a group that's strategizing and is willing to take a risky chance, they'll be the first to scream out, wait a second, we've not done this before. Hold on, we need to get more information. Wait, we don't have all the data to prove that this makes sense. And many times we have to move without all the information. They'll be the harder of the group to navigate through because of that. Okay. So um, what what's the best thing for us to remember, any of us that work or, or know people personally with that style? What's, what's something that we can do to make sure that things go smoothly, particularly well, in the a, workplace? Sure. A, a, they're not emotional, meaning they don't look at emotion as a way to make a decision. So if you're going to go to them and need something from them, going with high energy, up, jumping up and down and being excited about something, that's probably not a good way to approach them. They'd rather get the sense that you, you have thought this through and that you're calm and this is something you're presenting because that would be for them a more logical practical approach to making a decision and when there's emotion involved they start to question whether or not this is really the emotion talking or is it you really thought this through talking and they'll err on the side of being cautious and wait for that emotional element to go away okay yeah, good to know. Um, Tish, I mentioned at, um, at, the, at the beginning a new website that you have coming in January. Do you want to mention that real quick? Sure, and thank you for do mentioning it. We have um, you know, a lot of new service offerings and our product roadmap, the things that we're bringing to clients. I'm putting it all together to better position where and why folks would call Candor and utilize us. And I think the way in which we're approaching it on our new site will be that crisp, that clean, that simple to follow, and I'm hoping that gives people an opportunity to understand more about what we can do with them and for them as a partner. Okay, terrific. Yeah. Um, and lastly, uh, you can find Tish at candor-consulting.com, C-A-N-D-O-R-consulting.com. Uh, I'm excited for the new year, Tish, and and I wish you um, you know the best in in January, and looking forward to having you again next month. Thank you, and look, uh, happy holidays to you and all your listeners, and really appreciate you, Susan, for always really seeking out those that look to help others. And I have to say, being part of your um, your offering is always one of the most you know exciting and most satisfying things that I think I do as part of my business. So thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. Thanks. Thank you so much for saying that. We'll have to give a shout out to Joel Megerman. Uh, I believe he's the one that put you in, on my radar and ha- where our relationship started. Well, we thank Joel for that. Well, you thank have Joel a wonderful for that. holiday. Okay, Tish, you as well. Uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, so now I want to bring on to the show our very special guest this afternoon. Again, her name is Carrie Williams. Carrie is uh, calling us from California, and she is uh, a boxer, a boxing coach. 
She is also the owner of The Stables, which is a boxing club in Santa Monica. Carrie is a speaker and the founder of Too Pretty, which is um, an organization that empowers young girls and women, uh, I love this, to play hard while continuing to embrace their femininity. Carrie, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Susan. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Oh, I'm excited to have you. I hope I got it. I hope I got all that right at the, in the beginning. Um, Absolutely. You know, you you have a remarkable story, and um, it's funny. I, I I say this often, and I think it's it's common among women who who really do um, have have overcome some great challenges and gone on to do great work for others. I think they don't always understand how amazing they are. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think you might be one of those. And, you know, oh. I just want to kind of set the tone a little bit for our listeners and, and give them a little bit of uh, your backstory and then let you speak to that. Um, mm-hmm. You you did grow up um, with a bit of a challenging childhood, and, and that being that um, you were born in a neighborhood that, that was not particularly affluent. Um, you, you described it as the hood. And, <laughs> um, you know, your mom um, left the family when you were two years old, which I think is a is, you know, that's an incredibly difficult challenge for any young person. Um, Mm -hmm. And then passed when you passed away when you were 14. Um, You went on to, uh, you know, you left, you you say you ran away from home and pretty much were were on your own at the age of 15 and 16, and eventually put yourself through college, um, attaining a 4.0. Now, that's kind of the very, very, you know, speedy (laughs) uh, version of your of your upbringing in younger years. And I think it's Mm -hmm. remarkable. So um, why don't you talk about those those early years for a few minutes and, um, you know, what it was about those early years that shaped the work you're doing today? Uh, yes, and, and shaping is exactly what it did. Um, you know, my father was amazing. Uh, he raised me more as his child rather than as his little girl, um, which to some would, you know, that doesn't sound great, but uh, really taught me to be an individual person, and I didn't put any barriers on myself uh, because of my sex. It wasn't, you know, I'm a little girl, so I can't do these things, or I should be doing these things. Uh, so there were no boundaries for me growing up, um, being raised by my father, and I was so fortunate to have that. Um, although, you know, there were, you know, unfortunate things that had happened with my mother, um, you know, those those things that happen to individuals, uh, those, you know, what we call just absolutely terrible things, they really do shape us and they make us who we are. They make us stronger. Um, they do a lot of really great things, and I think that you just kind of have to look at life that way and, and you have to look at the bad things that have happened and really just turn it around, uh, make the most of it, and then uh, make things better. And so I was, I was fortunate, you know, even though that it seems like such a harsh upbringing and growing up very quickly and being on my own so quickly and um, being self-sufficient so quickly, I had those tools because my father raised me the way he did. Uh, so I was very, very fortunate um, given all of that. <laughs> so w- th- when you talk about your dad and the way he raised you, did he put a lot of expectations on you? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess he did. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, if I really think about it, he did. You know, when I was in school, um, you know, it was you have to get straight A's. B's are not acceptable. Um, but he also gave me the freedom of choice, meaning he knew that it, I needed to know the consequences. So I would ask him to do something, and he'd say, well, I'm telling you no. But you need to make the choice yourself. You know the consequences if you still do it. And I think that freedom to choose and know uh, that there was a consequence if I decided to do something else uh, really, really helped as well. So he definitely had high expectations of me. Um, And there was one thing that I remember him telling me a lot, which was that, uh, well, there were two things. One was that I could do whatever I put my mind to, and that really stuck with me. Uh, and the other one was you you need to think about you before you can think about others. And, it, you know, and for a long time I felt that was very selfish. 
But now as I'm older, I understand exactly what he meant by that is that you really, you have to find yourself and be yourself and grow uh, in order to give of yourself. And so now that I'm an adult, I understand it completely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it makes us think of that phrase about, um, you know, putting on the oxygen mask first on an airplane before the child, right? Um, uh-huh. I've yeah. used that term before. <laughs> really, yeah, it's so it's so true. I mean, it's cliche because I think it's true. We, we You really can't help others if you're not in a good place yourself. Um, okay. one, of the, the, one of the first questions um, that I had in mind for you is, is to find out why it was that you ran away at 15. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, well, I think um, I was just going through a lot with my mom uh, passing. You know, even though she wasn't living with us, um, I still visit her on the weekends and whatnot. So we were still close. Um, I had a stepmother at the time um, who came into our lives um, for about two years up until 14 years old. And um, it seemed like there was just tension between her and I. And I could tell that it really upset my father. Um and it just put so much stress on him. And he was already, you know, he worked so hard. And um, I just, there was this one moment, this one breaking point. They were arguing, and it seemed to always be about me. And uh, I, I just, I wrote him a note, and I just said, you know, I, I'm going to go. You know, I, I don't want to cause stress in your life. Mm. And it was such a, I don't know why, I just felt like that was, I just, couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't hear the arguing anymore, and I couldn't see my dad's face. I can still see his face, and the, and just, just defeat. Looked defeated, and mm. um, and I just I couldn't stand to see him like that. Yeah. So I left, and I was fortunate enough. My my maternal grandmother took me in for about six months, um, which gave me time to kind of get my bearings together, and then. I stayed with my best friend at the time for about three months with her family. So then I was about 16, and then I uh, then looked to rent a room uh, somewhere, and then I started kind of – I was working at the time. I worked since I was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. What and, were you doing uh, at that? What and, was your job that, that were, allowed you to pay the rent? <laughs> <laughs> when, well, when I was 14, I was a hot dog girl at a, at a uh, kind of a, a venue in Sacramento where I'm from, um, Arco Arena. I don't even think it's there anymore, but it was where they played basketball. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, and then at the t- when I was 16, I was uh, a server, or a busser, rather. I was a busser first at a place called Old Spaghetti Factory, so it was an Italian restaurant. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a great so first job for, for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it teaches you a lot. It I've had does. a lot of jobs. It does. You know, it's, it's not very fancy and highfalutin, but it teaches you, you know, customer service. And, yeah, I do. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's a great first job for kids. Um, and also the tips. It's kind of like you're in control how much money you make, and that was really what I loved about it. <laughs> yeah. So did you so did you do that for two years before you went to college? I yeah I did actually yeah, yeah. so I was in the uh, I was in the restaurant um, industry okay. um, pretty much through high school and college um, and well also I I take that back. I did also uh, work in water parks, so I was a lifeguard as well. Okay. And then a swim instructor. <laughs> uh, listen, did you have siblings? Were you an only child? Um, I was an only child, but uh, my father did, um, when he remarried, um, they ended up having two children, so I have two half-siblings. Okay, okay. So, all right, so now it's time for college, and, and you, uh, I understand you went to California State University and uh, studied environmental science. And yes. <laughs> uh, so first I want to know, again, you you know, being on your own at that age and, and even getting into a university with some form of direction and selecting a major, yeah. um, who, who was guiding you and helping you during that time? You know, it's funny because I don't think about this a lot, but uh, it was actually my aunt, my, my mother's youngest sister. Um, I stayed with her for about a month. Um, I don't remember what happened, transitioning from, like, renting my own room. I stayed with her for a month or two um, and then get a roommate after that with an apartment. But in that transitional state, uh, she helped me fill out college um, applications and um, also um, directed me to get grants 
um, Cal grants that I could get because I was on my own for so long. Mm-hmm. They were able to go off of my income, which was nothing. <laughs> right. So, even um, with tips. <laughs> yeah, right? even with tips. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that was, I mean, extremely helpful. And I should call her and thank her actually. Um, but yeah, that was um, that's who helped me kind of direct me that way. She went to Cal Berkeley and graduated from there um, with a business degree. And uh, and it, she was the first person to go to college in my family, actually. Okay. So um, so yeah, she helped me with that, and uh, I you know I had set, I had a 4.0 when I graduated high school, so that immediately just kind of it was made me eligible to get into the university. Yeah. So that's what I did. <laughs> Well, okay, so um, environmental science, did that, where did that interest come from? I think you mentioned to me that um, your dad uh, moved from your childhood home to a rural area where you actually yes. lived on a farm, mm-hmm. chickens and yes. all kinds, yeah. yeah, and you rode horses, right? Yes, 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 so um, by the time I was about 10, um, we moved, and I was able to, yeah, just be in this um, country kind of living lifestyle. Yeah. And it was amazing. Um, and he would take me fishing all the time, and we'd go bird watching. And I had a little bird book, and we'd bird watch, and he'd say, okay, well, let's find out what bird this is, and, you know, what does it eat, and what's it doing? And um, just really amazing. It was just, I had the best childhood. I just really, I did, and I feel so fortunate. But, that's really where it came from, and he would take me to the coast a lot. He'd take me up uh, the mountains to go camping. Uh, so it was because of him, really. He was um, my driving force, and he made me fall in love with the environment and nature. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, yeah. Let's. So between the time that you graduated um, California State University, it was two years before you launched um, your – First studio, I'll say. Is that correct? It was uh, about a year after. Um, initially, when I graduated college, I I got a government job. It was in Sacramento, and there's lots of government jobs there. Um, and I did that for a year, and I just didn't like it. I didn't like to be in a cubicle, and um, I just felt like there was something else I needed to be doing. And um, I felt like I needed to be my own boss. I needed to create something <laughs> right uh so so yeah and that's that's kind of where I was at just for about a year before the first club um so where I did that I, met, I want to know that yeah, yeah the moment that you know the boxing <laughs> came into your life how did that happen that's not right. typical for a young girl right no no that rides uh, horses I, met, <laughs> I know it makes no sense makes whatsoever no sense. the bird the bird watcher goes boxing. Right. Um, no, so. <laughs> that sounds like a, a book title. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, I, um, I had met a guy who was a boxer, and um, I just remember in conversation uh, him saying, you know, that he would go to the boxing gym, and uh, the, the, the coaches there wouldn't allow anybody off the streets to just come in and train unless they wanted to actually be a fighter. Uh, and, you know, he would say, say, you know, there's, there are a bunch of people who want to come in and learn how to box, but the coaches just don't pay any mind to them and just kick them out. Uh, and then he would also say, you know, aside from that, I have to go to another gym to do my, you know, running and my weight training and whatever. So it was like all these things like would kind of, I don't know, they just floated around in my head for some reason. I was always thinking of I wanted to do something, but I wanted it to be new and no one has done it before. Um, so that's how I came up with this idea. I want to open a, well, I was like, I got a head trainer. I, this guy can be my trainer. So <laughs> right. I'm going to open this gym and it's going to be a boxing gym. It's going to be a fitness gym all in one. And anybody and everybody can come and learn how to box. So it wasn't um, just for women specifically. It was just that you, you saw a need for, for, um, a, a gym where, where anyone could walk in and learn as opposed to be training yes. for the fights, I guess. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, yeah, and it was co-ed, so yeah. So you, so uh, the name of it was Primetime Boxing, is that right? Yes. Uh huh. So tell me, you know, when when we talk about entrepreneurship and and starting something brand new like that, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of, <laughs> you know, work to be done. And 
you know, how, what was the very first thing you did uh, after mm-hmm. you had the idea that kind of set everything in motion? Yes. Uh, first thing I did was came up with a name. And then I went and I bought some uh, business books, um, how to write a business plan. Uh, I had no idea how to write a business plan, but I knew that I needed to get some money to actually open a gym. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have any money. There was no way I could do that. So um, there I was just, you know, grabbing books and reading and, and figuring out how to do all of this. And so it took me a few months to get through that. And finally, I... I came up with a, a great business plan. I actually even um, went to some events, like boxing events, and I, I tried to get people to, you know, um, kind of do a little survey and just trying to get more information for my business plan. And uh, so I came up with a business plan within about six months, and I got an appointment with the bank, and I was able to go down and actually be in front of one banker in a room and present my plan with all of my light and my energy and positivity. And he said he was going to give me a feel-good loan. (laughs) And I did not know what that was. (laughs) So I said, well, that's great. I don't know what that is. but And he said, well, he said, I feel really good about you. I feel really good about your proposal, and I know that you're going to be successful, and I know you'll pay the bank back. Wow. And wow. Th- that was. You, was, was you just made him believe in you, right? I mean, I love yes. that. You didn't walk in there with years of experience and, you know, all the the lingo necessary to present the business plan for, you know, but you, yeah. he believed in you. Yes, that was exactly what it was. And um, it was an amazing feeling. Um, and I, I wish that bankers did that to this day. I don't know if they do anymore. <laughs> well, you know, you know what? I'll tell you who does that. I guess investors. Did you have any uh, yeah. investors in the in the, the business? No, I did not. Um, I would love to get on Shark Tank and get an investor for Too Pretty. <laughs> but... <laughs> well, there you go. Let's put it out there. Let's put it out there into the universe. Yeah, put it right? out there. Yeah. Good vibes. Yeah. Um, but no, no investors. Um, I just got a small business loan, and it was pretty much enough to – um, you know, put a deposit down on a building. And well, that was a whole another thing is learning how uh, to lease a, a space, a commercial space. I knew nothing about it. Learn how to negotiate a lease. Yeah. Um, you know, all of this, do renovations. Uh, you know, that was a whole other ball game. So I really learned a lot as I went through the process. Yeah, that's terrific. Um, listen, Carrie, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. And mm-hmm. when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about finding purpose and um, when and where that began for you. Okay? We'll be right back. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography and automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. I'm Jocelyn Ewart, founding principal of Entrust Financial in Wayne, Pennsylvania, and it is my pleasure to share financial tips with you during my monthly segment on Women to Watch. I hope you are a regular listener like I am and that you are finding the personal finance tips I provide helpful. Some of the topics we have discussed so far this year are how to get organized, how to help your children learn good money habits, how to create that all-important travel budget, and what steps are needed as you prepare for retirement. 
Now I have truly exciting news for you, news you can share with your family and friends. As a veteran certified financial planner professional, I just published my first book, Balancing Act, Wealth Management Straight Talk for Women. It is filled with inspiring real case studies to help you and other women move past fear, build confidence, and make the right decisions without financial concerns. Just go to Amazon.com to purchase your copy. And please, write a review for Balancing Act Wealth Management Straight Talk for Women. I look forward to reading it. I'm pleased to announce the opening of the region's newest, most innovative gynecology practice in the Philadelphia area in mid-November, Montgomery Gynecology. Led by Dr. Hima Janogada in a welcoming boutique-style setting, she and her team are committed to providing the highest standard of cutting-edge care without losing the personal touch that is so very important in today's world. With a particular interest in minimally invasive surgical options, Dr. Hema completed advanced training in robotic surgery and is one of only two surgeons in Montgomery County who performs this highly specialized single-site robotic surgery. For more information on the opening of this exciting new practice in the convenient Plymouth Meeting location, go to www.montgomerygyn.com or call 215-444-3411. That's montgomerygyn.com or call 215-444-3411 to make an appointment today. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. I'm joined this afternoon by Carrie Williams. And again, Carrie is the founder of Too Pretty, uh, which is an organization that she has developed to try to empower young girls and women to continue to you know pursue whatever the careers they want to pursue, whether they're in a male-dominated industry or not. Um, and also embrace their femininity, which I think is is really important. Um, you know, Carrie, one of the things I read um, about in your bio and in your background was this continued um, mention of trying to find purpose in life. And I think it's something <laughs> that, you know, if, if you're not reflecting um, as you go along in life, then, you know, I think you're missing out on something, and we all should be kind of looking for that. One of the things, you know, you mentioned that you're, you, obviously your mom, when she passed away young, um, you said you, you weren't able to know what her purpose was or what, what, you know, what were her dreams. And, you know, that, that's hard. Um, I guess my question for you is how old were you and, and where were you when you first started to think about that? You know, I think when we're, we're very, very young, we're thinking about what we have to get through that day. Um, and then at some point you start to really, you know, think about things with more meaning. And ha- when did that happen for you? You know, uh, I mean, I felt immediately when she first passed that, um, you know, the whole why and there's got to be a reason kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I felt like that for a very long time. And then I kind of let it go. Uh, I was growing the boxing clubs. I, you know, was uh, opening more locations, and so I was just very busy, just trying to grow. And then um, finally, when I um, moved out to Santa Monica, uh, which was about four, five years ago, I started to really reflect on life, and um, it took me back to my mom again and uh, how young she was. And I just thought, there's, you know, what was the purpose? And and I thought, you know, what am I doing with myself here? Um, what am I giving? And um, although I I had already worked with um, lots of youngsters and had given my father said I've done enough charity work for a lifetime, <laughs> but um, I had already given and given, but I just felt like there was just something that was missing and. Uh, I wanted to almost find my mom's purpose, and I, I felt like I think her purpose was to bring me into this world and was for me to do extraordinary things and to inspire and to move young girls and women. Uh, so it, it just, yeah, so that was about four years ago when I just kind of had that epiphany, and then it just set me on, 
my path um, for the Never Too Pretty movement. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about this this movement and um, what what are some of the actual uh, resources that, that you provide and services and um, what are some initiatives that uh, you're working on for 2017? Yes. Uh, you know, I wish I, at this point, a year in, were able to provide actual services um, <laughs> to young girls. At well, that, this, one year at is not a long – yeah, that's, that's <laughs> – it's brand new, right? It really is. It's well, brand yeah, new. Yeah, it's very brand new. Yeah. Um, right now, it's um, really building a strong female community around uh, Never Too Pretty. And uh, what I did in the spring was – launched the movement, which um, essentially started with uh, young girls and women uh, where they would uh, get a piece of cardboard and they would write on that piece of cardboard what they were never too pretty to do or to be. And then they would uh, take that picture and post it on their social media and then they would write their story. So they would explain why did they write that. Uh, you know, And there's just hundreds that came through uh, on on all the social media platforms and just would just be tearjerkers. I mean, to read the stories of these girls and these women, it was just incredible. And so that's kind of how the movement began. And so right now it's just really growing and trying to build some momentum with that movement and continue it on. Um, The ultimate goal of the movement is to be able to offer scholarship programs for girls and women to do whatever it is that they're, you know, aspiring to do. So it could be anything. It doesn't really matter what it is. But I feel like the the movement, the brand, is really geared a little more toward those who are in male-dominated sports or arenas or professions um, who have maybe somebody has made them feel like they are they shouldn't be there, mm. and we are just here to say yes, you should be there, right. and you should be kicking ass there. You know, mm-hmm. just yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so that's really what the whole the whole point of um, what too pretty is, and what the you know the gist is behind it. Have you seen a certain age group of, of I'll say, young girls or, or women that are kind of reaching out and becoming a part of the community? Uh, you know, I just recently, I think uh, we're seeing a lot more uh, preteen, and or well, they're called tweens, I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, teenagers. Um, we've seen a lot more of that lately. Um, but it is honestly across the board, it's very interesting. Um, I would say that's probably the biggest um, part of it. But it's, you know, women all the way to whatever age, really. You know, these are women who, you know, maybe when they were younger weren't allowed to do something because they, you know, it was something boys did. And so they really um, gravitate toward the movement because they get it, because they've been there and done that. And then you've got the young girls who are coming up and saying, yeah, you know what, I'm a girl, but I can skateboard too. And yeah. I can wear pink while I do it. <laughs> <laughs> Bows in my hair while I'm skateboarding or boxing. That's right. right? Yeah, no, I love exactly. that. I love that. I think it's so great. Teenagers are, oh, my gosh, they're so vulnerable, you know, when we mm-hmm. think back to our own teen years. And, ugh, it's so hard. So the fact that we're having these conversations and these stories are being told and there's women like you, um, you know, just letting them know that, you know, now we can speak out and speak up about these topics where years ago it just kind of wasn't – it wasn't the norm and it wasn't culturally culturally acceptable, I'll say. Um, although it's there, exactly true. Yeah. There were always a few, right? There were always some trailblazing women out there um, <laughs> yes. saying the things that should be said, but it seems as though today we have such a larger – network of women um, pointing out to young women that they can, you know, go into STEM. We talk about that a lot on the show. Those particular Mm -hmm. industries that have been historically male-dominated really need women, you know, who are creative and collaborative. And it starts with the youngsters. That's right. They are all going to grow up um, to be these women in these more male-dominated industries and it's just the thing is there are a lot of young girls out there that may not have parents or role models that are telling them that they can do it. Right. And so that's what we're here for. We're we're here to tell them that they can. 
because um, just so many of them don't have that. They don't have that support system. And one thing I, I've realized, um, even for myself, um, with the whole uh, movement is over the past mm, two years, I have felt such a strong female community um, of support that I've never felt in my entire life. Now, you know, the thing was that I didn't grow up with a female role model. I didn't grow up with a sister. Um, And then I was like kind of into this male-dominated sport for a very long time. So I never really got to feel what it was like to have a female community. And this has actually been something amazing for me Mm. because it's just kind of eye-opening. It's like, wow, there's, it's awesome. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you it know, is. <laughs> I keep saying, you know, and, I just think it's such an exciting time for women. There's so much going on yes. that's in a positive, um, in a positive way. Yeah, absolutely. We just um, released a, a new line for, we, we do sell apparel um, for the brand, but um, we released a new line and then it's uh, called Female Revolution. And uh, it's just, it does, it feels like our time right now. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I think (laughs) is so great about your message, not just that, you know, girls can do anything, you know, but that they can do it without changing who they are. If they are more Uh comfortable, um, if they have very, very feminine traits, we'll say. I'll I'll use Uh uh, Tish's terms from, you know, the top of the show, you know, your your traits, then Uh keep that in the work that you do yeah. if you know if you're if you're yeah. if you feel more comfortable and with more masculinity and in the way you go about it do that as well absolutely and um and on the same uh, note there are some girls who feel like they have to dress or act masculine mm-hmm. in order to be taken serious in their sport or their profession and i have seen that firsthand i bet um so they end up not really being themselves. Um, they're being what they think people, you know, want them to be to make people think that they're capable of something. That's right. Uh, and it's sad. And, you know, and again, we're just here to say you don't, you can just be yourself if you want to paint your nails. And, you know, <laughs> that's that's okay. Yeah. You don't have to go in and, you know, not do your hair and you don't have to not wear heels. And it doesn't. None of that matters. You're capable no matter what. That's no matter right. what you look like, you're right. capable. Right. So uh, I just think it's a really important message to get across to the girls. And, you know, when I think about um, you're doing some speaking, you're going into schools, I guess, or, or different organizations yeah. and speaking to young women? Yes, yes. I've uh, been doing that a lot lately, um, especially with the movement. Uh, we just went to a... Uh, a program for young, young girls who are getting into skateboarding. So ages like, you know, four to to 12 years old. And uh, it's called Skate Rising. And went there and chatted with these girls. And they all did signs to say what they're never too pretty to do or be. And it was adorable. (laughs) I mean, there were like 30 girls there. And the stuff they were writing was just amazing. You know, Mm -hmm. it was everything from to be an engineer, to be a a trainer of dolphins, you know, to be a singer, to be a skateboarder. Um, You know, it's just to be a doctor. Um, It's all these things that it was just kind of making them think, you know, what are all these things? Like, I'm a girl, but what can I, I can do anything. You know, what is it that I want to do? And I have no limitations. So, yeah, so I've been um, working on um, speaking a lot uh, to schools and just different uh, groups. Um, but I've done speaking for uh, quite quite many years, and I think because of the business I was in, or I still am in, rather, <laughs> with the boxing, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, I think a lot of people are, are interested in the story, and um, it's just, I guess it's a little more unique, um, you know, being a feminine person in a male-dominated sport. Yeah, it is. But, it is unique. Um, what do you hear from the girls, Carrie, when you're talking to these young girls and engaging with them? What do you hear from them about empowerment? Do they feel and know that all of this support is out there or do they talk about you know any kind of backlash from their peers particularly you know young boys um yeah what, what yeah. is there I'm, I'm i'm hoping that you know they're feeling <laughs> differently than when we were growing up that they're aware yeah yes they are and it's beautiful because um and i feel like the younger they are the more they're getting it uh so you know like for instance these girls that were skateboarding they say well 
I started skateboarding because, you know, my friend's brother said, oh, skateboarding is just for boys. And she said, well, no, it's not. And so I want to start <laughs> skateboarding. So <laughs> it's almost like this a bit of defiance, you yeah, know, like yeah. don't tell me I can't do something. Um, <laughs> so you're seeing that more and more, which is great. And, you know, I'll read stories from a lot of, uh, well, we have ambassadors for the brand. And so, you know, they'll tell me their stories as to why they really – are embracing it and it'll be a lot of um a lot of similarities you know well i'm you know i surf and i know that when i go out on the waves you know generally the guys always are going to take the waves first and and you know they'll say well you know i get right out there and, and i have to be somewhat aggressive and you know but then they respect me um so it's just all sorts of different things and different um, sports and activities um, that these girls are going, you know, head to head with the boys, mm-hmm. and they're doing really, really well. And it's, um, you know, whatever is going on in their life, and they, you know, whether it's too pretty or, or a role model or whatever, something is telling them that yes, I'm capable, and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do it because I want to do it. Yeah, and and the other message I think is is that they know what they're equally as important in you know what they're doing sometimes um you know when i think about women supporting each other um not so sure that we've gotten to the point yet where there will be women who choose more traditional paths or roles mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. and they should if that's where their heart is mm-hmm. and then there will be women who choose non-traditional and how mm-hmm. can we get these two you know groups to support each other and understand that they are equally important there's not one that's more than the other if um, you know, if, if perhaps they're yes. going a, a non-traditional route, what do you think? Yeah, um, I mean it's it's tough uh, because I think you know when I was growing up, I saw a lot of um, I you know I saw a lot of bullying and it was from girls and um, a lot of times when you're different, uh, you know you get picked on and I'm sure that still goes on today um, and. The hard part is, and I think like another thing you were saying is what I really want to get across across with Too Pretty is that we are all together. We're all female. We're all girls. We're all women, and we all need to support each other, and we need to um, lift each other up and let each other know that we we have each other's backs. You know, we're we're all we have our ride or die girls, and uh, we're supporting each other. And I think that's really important because I do when I go out and speak to the girls. For the most part, I do see that with them. I see them supporting each other. There are still a few that aren't quite there yet, mm-hmm. but I think that the more we really uh, keep presenting that and making them feel like they're a part of this powerful community, I think the more and more that they will get it and they'll lift each other up more. And I think you and I both know that we, in those moments where there is either bullying or, or the, the support isn't there, it really is about an insecurity in that individual, right? <laughs> yes. It really is. Yeah. I have a good story about that. Okay, yes. share it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, when I was in high school, I um, I used to kind of design my own clothes because my father couldn't afford to buy me new clothes. So. I would take old clothes that didn't fit and I would cut them and sew them to fit and just kind of throw together with maybe something out of my dad's closet. Um, And uh, I would make up these crazy outfits. So, of course, I got teased at school. But um, there was this one particular girl uh, that we weren't really friends, but I remember from high school. Anyway, she messaged me on Facebook about a month ago, and she said, you know, can I call you? Um, I really wanted to talk to you about something. I mean, I mean, this is, I mean, years ago we wow. were in high school did you re- together. Did you recognize the name, her name? I did. Okay. Yes. She was kind of, she was kind of a popular girl in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew who she was. And so I said, sure, here's my number. So she called me and she said, you know, I really, really wanted to apologize to you for bullying you. Mm. And I was so surprised because I don't remember her bullying me. And um, she told me of this one incident that, you know, she was with her friends and, you know, she was teasing me about, you know, the bow that I had in my hair, this like little handmade bow I made. And she was teasing me about it. And she said, you know what? She said, I was so jealous of you. And I just didn't know, you know, I just thought if I made fun of you, then it would just make me feel better. And it blew me away because I don't remember the whole incident. 
And I said, you know what? It's okay. I said, um, my father used to tell me all the time, Carrie, when those girls make fun of you and they, you know, pick on you, it's because they're jealous. And I just owned that. I ran with it. Well, obviously, I think it's amazing that you don't remember that incident because that's the kind of very small, minor thing that can happen to a young girl, and she remembers that forever and who that person was that said that. Yes, but I think because my father really just kind of nailed that into my mind that there were a lot of things that I just ignored, and Mm. I thought it's not worth my time or energy to put it in my files. I don't want it in my brain. And I just didn't bother with it. If it was negative, I just didn't want to put it in my mind. And uh, and that it helped me tremendously, evidently, because I don't even remember the incident. <laughs> no, I have, Carrie, I have to tell you, that really, what I mean, that's a tremendous quality that you had at a young age. I, I wonder if, because this is something I see, you know, having interviewed so many women um, who really have confidence, Uh, often Mm -hmm. they had men in their lives or fathers Mm -hmm. that told them they could be or do anything. And I'm wondering if you think back and had it been your mom that said, you know, you can do or be anything, would it have had the same effect on you as it coming from your dad? You know, I think it would have, but I think there was still a lot of other things that I wouldn't be able to do or conquer and I only say that because my father made me fearless because he raised me like I said not like a little girl so um, there were a lot of things you know you fall down and you scrape yourself and it's okay brush it off don't cry Mm -hmm. Um, you know let's go swim across the river Um, I'm not going to hold your hand you're going to swim after me Let's go to the store, um, you know, even though, you know, those little girls want to pick on you, we're going to still walk to the store. You know, all these, like, little things I remember of my childhood were things I was scared of, and yet my father just said, this is what you're doing. Um, whereas I think, for the most part, a lot of mothers wouldn't necessarily do that with their little girl. No, I, I think um, naturally they're, we're just more nurturing and, and wanting to, yeah. you know, take, take care. Yes, exactly, and um, and I didn't get that other part. You know, I got the the risk taking part part of it. But uh, I think it's just so imperative to have both. Um, but to have a to have a male uh, figure in your life is um, invaluable. I mean, just fathers are amazing, and they're so valuable. And um, you know, maybe they need to know this more because it's. It's incredible what they can really do for their daughters. Yeah, I agree. I think it just it carries a different weight um, with yes. it. Um, so let me ask you this. What scares you today? What 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 keeps you up at night? Um, I have no doubt you could defend yourself <laughs> physically <laughs> if anybody dared to do you harm. But, you know, the world is a scary place. There's a lot of things going on, and we and we know it, and we see it all day long, every day. Um, tell yeah. me, you know, what is it that you fear and, and, and what is your coping mechanism when um, you're feeling that? Um, I know it's cliche, but I fear, I fear failure. Um, I guess with what my purpose is here and uh, coping with that is telling myself all the time that it takes time. Um, I kind of lose sight of that sometimes, and it, it'll take somebody to kind of, you know, go, hey, you're doing amazing things. Like, don't stop doing what you're doing. You know, what you're doing makes a difference. Um, and every once in a while to hear that really, really helps because I do. I, I feel like, well, it's, you know, things aren't moving fast enough. I'm not reaching enough girls yet. Uh, so I'm always, like, in a hurry. I want it to happen now. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, yeah. that puts more pressure on myself. Yeah. Um, so it, there's a big fear of failure, and um, but I, I always just cope with it and, and say, okay, I just need to understand it's going to take time. Yeah. And that's pretty much how I deal with it. I think it's hard for us today to be patient in the world because of, you know, the Internet and technology. Things We're able to do things so quickly, you know, tasks and check mm-hmm. them off the list. Sometimes I think that, <laughs> that you know, um, it, it just doesn't help us to be patient. 
Um, I'm thinking about as you're describing yourself and that I'm thinking about what Tish said at the top of the show about uh, the sea style and and maybe that's <laughs> were you listening to that? Did were you thinking about yes. yourself? Okay. Well, I am. I'm so um, not the sea style. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh God! I, I need help. I need help. I need a sea style person in my life. That's right. Um, <laughs> that's when you hot, you go out and hire a sea style. <laughs> yes. Um, you know that's the thing is that I um, I always want to hurry up and get things done, and yeah. um, and I think with a sea style it would be oh well okay let's just look at this and slow down a bit. Yes, and <laughs> being very methodical and analyzing. Yes, I'm more like you for sure. Yeah, I don't uh. tend to be a little compulsive. Um, so um, this is not a very creative question, but I'm curious. Tell me what a typical day is for you, you know, between uh, the studio that you still run and, and this movement that you're so passionate about and really just just at the very, very beginning. How do you, you know, what's a typical day? Uh, let's see. So uh, waking up, and then um, we take our our German Shepherd pup to the dog park, um, and then um, come back, have a little meal, hop on the computer to work on Too Pretty, and then go work out, um, have another little meal, work on Too Pretty again, and then it's usually time to go train my folks at the club. And then I'll be there for a few hours and then back home again working on Too Pretty and then um, eating dinner at the same time. Um, and usually we'll, we'll also take uh, Sasha, our dog, um, out either on a walk or to the dog park again in the afternoon. Yeah. Uh, and then um, kind of wrapping it up with work and uh, that's about it. I mean, it's pretty. <laughs> well, that sounds, you know what, it sounds to me like a, a very balanced day. You know, we're talking about balance all the time and um do you do you you know being someone who who really um wants to get things done kind of quickly do you feel overwhelmed or do you make a conscious effort to to know and understand that you really can only focus on one thing at a time and try to take your time with it yeah there are about two times a month where i feel very overwhelmed um it just it's so everything's so overwhelming that my mind completely goes blank Mm. There's just not one thought in my mind. It's so overwhelming. It's very bizarre. <laughs> um, and what do you do when that happens? Take, it, you know, I re- I try to make it not so, and nothing I do works. It's almost like I have to wait a whole day to like kind of get out of this this kind of a blank state of mind. Mm-hmm. And um, that's probably. And then usually I'll just. I mean, being outside I think helps me a lot. So like if I went down to the beach. Uh, or just, you know, kind of outside walking or running outside, just anything where I could just kind of look at the trees and smell the air. Yeah, it helps that you live in Sacramento, (laughs) right? Oh, well, yeah, well, because I live in Santa Monica. Oh, you're in Santa Monica, yes, that's what I meant, yep. Yeah, and the beach is like two miles from our place. So. <laughs> That's wonderful. Carrie, listen, we, yeah. we just ran out of time. I'd love for you to give your um, your website real quick so people can find you. For sure. It's www.2prettybrand.com. T-O-O-P-R-E-T-T-Y-B-R-A-N-D. Two Pretty oh, Brand. Terrific. Carrie, thank you so much. <laughs> I hope you have a great week and holiday, and, and uh, I wish you continued success. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Thanks, Susan. Take care. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Have a great week and a a Merry Christmas. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.